Okay, we've got a... Finished up our study last time. Uh, we've got a new one, which uh, you're going to need your uh, red Bible, as well as the sheets that I have before you. And I've got two sheets front and back. Uh, at the top it says, God's love for us. Uh, we're going to take a look at the word love. Uh, I was asked if I could do a, a, a study that was not quite as heady, not quite as technical, um, maybe a little bit... Uh, so they asked for one on love? <laughs> they didn't say that, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking they just don't feel the love. <laughs> so, um, uh, but in order to uh, give you uh, the goodies that are packed in God's Word, we yeah we're going to have to take a, a pretty good look at it. Um, and uh, I'm starting out. We'll see how things go this morning, but. Um, uh, if you take a look at your uh, sheets that I have in front of you, if I told you that I was going to do a study about love from the from the scriptures, you would probably quote to me. Could you could you quote to me uh, a For Bible Corinthians passage? 13. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know the, uh, uh, the For God so loved the world. I mean that. Okay. Um, <coughs> Uh, of course we would. If you look at these sheets, I've included all Old Testament readings. There's no <laughs> New Testament readings uh, found on this uh, on this sheet. Uh, in other words, we're going to take a look, at least at the start, see how things go today. We're going to take a look at the, the term love as it is found in the Old Testament. Um, Normally, when we jump off onto uh, the New Testament and we take a look at the word love, uh, we very quickly come to uh, some Greek words, and, and there are some that we know. Uh, most people know the word agape uh, is one of the, uh, the Greek words. Um, by confining ourselves to the Old Testament passages, I'm going to uh, avoid getting into the, 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 the Greek words that, that go for it. There are some Hebrew words. There are a couple we're going to take a look. But it's not quite as, as simple. Um, what do I mean? Well, um, this, uh, uh, this last Wednesday, I told my wife, I love you. Yeah, love his wife. <laughs> uh, last night, uh, I mentioned I love salmon. Uh, we grilled out some salmon on the, on the grill. I, I love salmon. Now, you know, my, I'm not comparing my wife to a fish, but you got to ask the question at some point. You know. One is taste and one is affection. All right, so um, what, affection was one. What was the other? Taste. Taste. <laughs> Taste. Um, yeah, so we begin to kind of go, okay, um, we use this word love uh, quite a bit. And so we also have to kind of figure out as well, uh, there are various ways in which love can be used. Um, and, it, and it doesn't always refer to the, the same kind of thing. So as we take a look at the uh, scriptures, we're going to have to we're going to have to look at that. We're going to have to see. Sometimes it's helpful to grab a uh, a lexicon and you go back. And as I mentioned with the New Testament, you can go back to the Greek and you might pull out a word. And I, I'm sure you've all heard, you know, the agape love is, is God's unconditional love. And you've heard of phileo, from which we get Philadelphia, and it's brotherly love. And, you know, you, we, can, we can talk about eros, erotic love, you know, you, you can do that. Yeah, got it, got it. But, 
like English, um, and 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 Greek has some things too, but but like English, Hebrew doesn't have as many words for that, and doesn't distinguish between it. And so for us, just like um, I can love salmon and I can love my wife, and it's the exact same word, and how are you going to tell the difference? Um, well, context. Context. I, I got to go to context, and that's the only way that I, I can tell what that is. Um, uh, you know, and as words, you know, how we got to those points. Sometimes historically, you can kind of see where where things went, but um, but sometimes you can't. Uh, sometimes it's simply a matter that it it began to be used that way. Um, so there is a. I, uh, a Hebrew word. It's called ahav, um, and I included it on your uh, sheet. So on the very first uh, Bible passage, uh, Deuteronomy 4.37, and because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. This was actually, Deuteronomy 4, is actually the first time that we have a word for love uh, in the Old Testament that refers to God as, as the subject. We've got, we got love before that. Um, actually, I, I think, I don't know if I have it, um, I think the first one is almost... Genesis 22 or something. I mean, it's 22 chapters before you get the word love of, of, of any kind. Uh, this particular word, ahav, love, and this is the one that is for God. It's used for uh, it's used for a husband loving his wife. Um, it's used for uh, interesting enough. Uh, the word love in Hebrew is not used for children towards the parents. Kind of go, hmm. Uh, uh, for your family, uh, it's used for uh, love of things like the temple or love for the word of God. It's, it's, it's used for uh, a prostitute as well as for uh, married. Uh, it's, it's a word that is just used for all of these. I mean, it's just a general word. So almost every time you've got to go back, and, and in the context you're going to get it. Um, you're going to you're, you're, you're have it. Um, if there is, and let's just set down some things. If there's a love for a thing, if there's a love for salmon, you are desire you you are drawn to the object for the for the benefit of it. Um, I I desire you know if I say I love salmon, well it's a food, so I want to eat it. I want to taste it. I want to. Um, if I tell you I love golf. I'm not eating it. Yeah, and so I'm enjoying. It's the activity and what is there that get it. And so there is. Um, if I love, and sometimes we can put an infinitive after it, we can say I love to play music, to play to something. I love to play. I love to run. I love to whatever it is. There's then an activity. Uh, that we are going to engage in. So with this term uh, love, there is always a, uh, a drawing close to and a receiving either of the thing itself or of the benefits and the stuff that, that, it, that it gives. So what did God love about the fathers? Yeah, so then we, <coughs> let me get to parent, let me get to uh, a, a husband and a wife. That's down the road, Mary. That's down the road, I'm not quite there yet. Um, 
So what about a husband and a wife? And I, and, and I thought I would, I was going through these passages. Um, Pastor Arun saw my desk, and, and I had books strewn all over the place. He goes, what are you doing? You know, uh, I go, well, I'm doing a study on the word love and, and all. And, and he kind of goes, whoa, you're, you know, um, that's, that's a big topic. Yeah, it is. So what did I do? Um, as I went through, I, I'm just telling you these things, but I cut out all those passages pretty well. That, that have love for things and objects and, and that kind of thing. That, 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 that's normal secular kind of stuff. Although, although we, can, uh, we can talk about it a little bit. But um, what about when it comes to persons? Hmm. Um, what about uh, love for your spouse? Is it that... Uh, I, I desire the benefits of, of what my spouse brings to the marriage, brings to the table, you might say. Um, I mean, if, if, if I were to write a Valentine's card, if I would make up my own Valentine's car, card, and, and I said to her, I, you know, I, I love you. Uh, because you cook my food and you pick up my dirty socks and you dust the, you know. Boy, are we getting warm fuzzies, right? <laughs> um, you know, all of a sudden you kind of go, well, I mean, um, there was even, uh, I don't even remember the thing. There was a song, you know, um, I, you know, I, I love, I can't remember something like, I love what you do to me. You kind of go, I had a I had a girlfriend in uh, high school. We were talking about different things and all, and uh, talked about marriage and said, you know, this is for uh, this is for life and and all. And um, uh, quite surprisingly, she goes, well, you know, there might be reasons. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, red lights. You know, um, and so we started talking about that, and, and and she said, "Well, I mean, if 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 you're no longer making me happy, <laughs> whoa, that could happen on dates you know, I mean, when you're dating and when you know, I mean, often there is, but um, and you know, and so I mean, point blank, I I I said, okay, so if if we're married and I get into a car wreck." And, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and you have to take care of me. Um, uh, is it time to, you know, get another guy? Um, so, when you say that you love your spouse, obviously there are things that are pleasing. Um, there are things that you would say that you enjoy with it. Um, in fact, so much so that often those descriptions that you have, most uh, people that study words will say that when we use love for chocolate or whatever we are, that that's actually a metaphor, it's a small part of what we care about when we love a person. And, uh, that's interesting. Um, but, so, what what then is love for a husband or a spouse wife? Um, unconditional giving. Unconditional giving. So rather than there being a uh, a benefit for what I am getting. It is a relationship in which I am not getting, but I am I am giving. If I had to look at my own parents, I would have to say it's a mutual love of board games. Board games. That one did not start Daughter. You know. And, and uh, there is, uh, I think it's Aristotle that, that goes on and, and does this 
uh, he's, he's comparing what a friend is and what and he's talking about love, and he talks about it in that sense, that um, uh, there is a love for others in which you enjoy the same activity. He describes that as a friend. And so when, when you know, we, I, we are running buddies, if I quit running, our friendship will probably drift apart because you and I are now ru- running together. Now, well, there may be other things that we do together, but uh, there are those kind of you know, things. It. And, and it is. It is. Well, I think it's interesting that none of the old people answered that question. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that we have any idea, especially when we are, when we're young, the, 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 the way that the way that love the turns that it's going to take because every different era of our lives love for a spouse changes yeah um <laughs> It's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, well, in our bedroom, we have a picture, our wedding picture sitting on the dresser. Remember, once in a while, you look at that and say, "Boy, who were those young people?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> say, you know, and we didn't have any idea what we were doing. <laughs> you know, we had no idea what. We were so there comes a point at which you're married. Prior to that, <laughs> um, I, so. You spoke up, Eric, so I, I guess I'm going to deal with you. So, Valentine's Day. You didn't, like, tell Allison you love her, did you? Well, I might have. You might have. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and yet, prior to marriage, there is not the pledge of lifelong love and fidelity that comes with marriage. Usually prior to marriage, uh, there is, if we're talking about this kind of without conditions, unconditional, there are six billion people in the world. Um, you could, well, okay, let's say there's half of them you're not going to marry. Uh, there's three billion that you could have picked. Um, you picked Allison. Um, I'm guessing that it wasn't random, you know, like whatever, and... Uh, now, you can say, you know, once I'm married, yes, whether you get in a wheelchair, when whatever happens, you know, it's, it's, I made a pledge. It's without condition that, that I'm going to do that. But uh, up into that, um, you know, I'm dating you because you're kind of cute, because I like your wittiness. I, you know, uh, you like to, you know, go on hikes with me. I mean, there are some of these things in, and, and, Marriage, you probably better to have more things that are in common than not. Um, but that that yeah that brings to the question then um, after after there is well, if we're talking about for a husband and wife uh, there is a a bond there is something that you enter into that now uh, uh, now sets the boundaries and the boundaries are till death parts us that's that's the boundaries that comes to it um, but prior to that and if we're talking about love we have some other things so uh, that kind of sets at least at least the stage for speaking about uh, uh, speaking about about love this we we often, uh, this morning in uh, uh, the matin service on uh, for Martin Luther, uh, we chanted through uh, Psalm 92 as the second psalm. It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning. Your love in the morning, your faithfulness at night. Um, we're very comfortable speaking about God as a God of love. We're very comfortable. In fact, we're, we're pretty sure that that is an extremely important thing. The I'm, I'm going to say I'm a little surprised that as I went through the instances in which it speaks of God as love, that there weren't more. 
they're significant. And I want to say these are extremely important. And what we think about God being a God of love is absolutely right. It is absolutely true. The New Testament exemplifies it and, and explains it. And I, I have no trouble today, and you know, however long we kind of do this study, bring up New Testament because the New Testament explains it. The New Testament fulfills it. The New Testament is going to do it. But I'm going to try to speak about it in terms of the Old Testament as we, uh, as we start this. Because we're going to need context, I've got the Bible verse up here. It is in uh, uh, New King James. This is NIV, so we might have some differences. That's okay. Uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, and let's start taking a look at some of these passages and get to Mary's question about, what about God, then, um, concerning this? So, I have up on here uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. It happens to be right before the uh, Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. So this is uh, Deuteronomy 4. Uh, Deuteronomy, uh, the word itself means second law. Deutero is, is second. Nomus is law. Deuteronomy, it's the second law. What does this mean? Well, it means that what we had as a narrative in Exodus of the people walking out and where did they go and what did they say, Deuteronomy has more expanded teaching. It, it does the same thing. That's why we have Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. They're both the Ten Commandments. But Deuteronomy is a lot of regulations, a lot of the teaching and, and that. There is some narrative, but... Uh, so we get to Deuteronomy uh, 4 and uh, verse 37. Uh, let's take a look at, start about 32, uh, where Moses is teaching us uh, about God. He's talked about how he took them out of Egypt, uh, how they were worshiping other gods. And then 32, ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? So God brought the people out of Egypt. He took one nation out of another nation. That's not ever happened. So has any other people, I keep going, has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and live? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation? By testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by a great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God beside him, Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Verse 37. Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is this day, or as it is today. I'll keep going. Accept and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. <coughs> So God did all these things. He brought uh, your, long ago, he brought all your forefathers out of Egypt. Uh, he's you know, led us in through the land. Uh, now, you know, they're in the 40-year wilderness when Moses is riding. They're going to be going into the promised land. And he says, you know, has anyone ever done this? No, no one's ever done anything like this. And um, uh, he's, he's bringing you out of slavery. He's taking you on a journey. He's going to give you the promised land. Look at all that he has done for you. And then he says, and because he loved, that's the aha, uh, same general word, because he loved your forefathers, uh, and therefore he chose their descendants after them, that he brought you out of Egypt with this presence, with this mighty power. Does that sound a little unusual? 
Um, he's trying to explain to them how they how God has done all this for them. And then, then he says, and the reason God's doing all this for you is because what? Love there is is the promise that God made. That's the way it manifests itself. The promise that he made to Abraham. We see that fulfilled here. God always keeps his promise. Um, why are you being so good to me? Because I loved your dad. Huh. I mean, that's a little... Why is that unusual? For us, us it's impossible. Yeah. So, so I say, you know, uh, um, you know, what? Why do I? Uh, why do I treat you so well, Dan? You know, because I really love Vince, your dad. You go. Huh. Um, you would have expected me to say because I loved you. That's why I'm treating you so well. God, not in this passage, um, he talks about the great love that he had for the fathers. Pastor Arun mentions, oh, I know who the fathers are. We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about those who had been chosen by God. He loved them. We still don't have an answer, Mary, to what that... Well. Then you're going to go, well, why did he love our fathers, forefathers? Um, you know. Because they were part of his plan to bring forth the Christ. It has to do with predestination and election. Interesting. The. <laughs> it didn't do it last week, and I had, and it worked out very well. Um. Let me look here. I, I actually, I already had. Oh, good. Maybe that's just that'll work. Uh, I already had to switch out computer stuff this morning. Oh. Okay. Um, what uh, what you mentioned uh, as we're talking about this? Uh, when we talk about him loving our fathers, there is definitely a what we call the divine election, God choosing. Um, it, it, it fits into this, and it, it almost appears to be that way. Um, and, I, and I think it's true. Um, we do know that God has elected us. He has chosen us. Um, in fact, we have said concerning our salvation, he's done it before the creation of the world, that he chose us. Um, and then he has uh, sent us his son in this uh, because of something with our fathers than we are. And so you go, well, it's not, wow, it's not about me. Um, and yet, I don't want to leave it in terms simply of, usually when we talk about election or predestination or whatever you want to, uh, uh, however you want to speak of that, um, Pastor Arun rightly uh, says, wait a minute. When God dealt with the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who went before, it was in terms of a promise. That is, God chooses us in connection with the promise, the promise of Jesus, our Savior. Um, so yes, uh, there is something else going on in which, you know, uh, uh, God doesn't say, it is you, and he doesn't point to things in them. Oh, you Israelites, you were like the best people I could. I was. I was going around. I was looking for a few good men, you know. And the Romans didn't work, and the you know uh, Assyrians weren't so good. But the Israelites were really good people. I chose you. No, that's not what we have. We have God saying He's got the. Now, uh, how did Moses, you know, Moses bringing the Israelites out of out of Egypt? Uh, you know, did, were they? Pretty good, obedient people? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, that, 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 that Moses wouldn't even mention that. Yep. His loving them is who defines who they are, not yes. the other way around. 
Right. Right. That's uh, not really pertinent. But <laughs> that. Well, yes, it is. Let me keep. Well, it is. But that's really that's really pertinent. I remember one time we were in a Bible study, and one of the I can't even remember what the subject of it was. But I remember one of the women in the Bible study saying, "So what you're saying is that love is actually an act of the will. You decide you're going to love somebody, and you love them, no matter what, in spite of whatever." Right. The um, uh, it's similar in the. I'll just speak Old Testament wise. Um, there is a um, emotion. There is a feeling. There is a uh, what we would call a desire. I mean that it does speak of it in in that way. Um, but. Uh, there is always a corresponding action that goes with that. Um, and as it moves on, as, as we talk about things like that, um, the action itself becomes the definition. So you're exactly right. There is always an act. It, it is an, uh, love is a verb, not so much a noun. I mean, yes, we do talk that way, but but I'm just saying, hey, there's always an action that goes with it. Mark, I think that there's a there's a secular parallel with this. For example, in Roman society, it was typical for um, for a man who really respected another man, you know, would to adopt his son as his own, and that child that that son was considered to literally be blood and bone of the, of the adopted father. And this is kind of the kind of the same way a little bit. God's God's adopting the, the Israelites to be His children because of because of the promise He made to their fathers. I kind of enjoy looking at it from the other direction up, if you will. I not having children, but desiring to have children. I don't really fully understand it, but it's bad enough if you are willing to die for someone. That's a very serious thing. But to give your child for someone. That is not even a thing that he will do. You don't, you don't, especially your only child. So to look at it and say God is giving his only child, his perfect child, for these people who don't even love him, is a very interesting way of seeing all of history. Yeah. Exodus 20, the next passage I have. Uh, it is included, again, that's where the Ten Commandments are, so I put it kind of after this. Uh, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the fourth, third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Um, the word love is included here. It is the exact same word that's before. This time it is described of God's people towards God. Uh, that is, of believers. The believers are described as those who love me. Uh, usually we see that a, a believer in the Old Testament is described as a God-fearer, but here it is described as a God-lover, someone who loves me. It puts a connect with the, to, with the commandments. Um, I, I, I'm trying to mainly deal with the word love as it deals with God, but I, I went ahead to include this simply because it's included, uh, as, Luther includes it as the conclusion. It actually comes you know, after the first commandment. And what is interesting is, God is described as but showing uh, hesed, uh, and I included that right here, same kind of thing, to thousands. It, it prefers to speak of God as not with a love word, but with a word that often is described as mercy. Sometimes it's actually described as kindness, uh, or loving kindness, but um, showing mercy, and and those who then are described as loving in, in return. But let's hold that for a bit. Go on to Deuteronomy chapter seven. Um, it's a long, it's a little more extended passage. This is probably, if you're wanting, if you're going to like study love in the Old Testament, this is the one you're going to get to because it is the one that explains. Brian. So you could read the Exodus passage as somebody he only loves the people who love him. Yeah, that's the problem with it. It sounds as if 
you know, uh, um, yeah, God loves those who love him. And that's not what it's saying, but that, yes, right. Um, and so that's why I, I just, I set it out there, but uh, I think we need to get the context as well as to see. So, Deuteronomy 7, let's walk through. Verse 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers. To give you. Back up at the beginning, verse seven. The Lord did not set His love. It's not actually the uh, aha. It's not about uh, this. Uh, it doesn't say that 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 He's loving you. It said He set His love. Uh, this is a, a, a word that means that He uh, attached Himself to. Um, he is holding on to, um, and this is what the Lord did. What did he do? He grabbed on to you, and he chose you. And there's the election. There's the thing which he did. And there was nothing in you that made him do it. He didn't go, oh, I really like the taste of that chocolate. That's why I'm going to grab it. He grabbed it not because you were great, not because you were, no, in fact, you weren't. But he did set his love on you. He did it. And because now we know that the Lord does, and there's that word, he loves you. Uh, Just like he loved the Israelites, he has chosen us. Uh, And more, it goes back to, you know, what we said before, there was an oath, there was a promise he swore to our fathers when he loved them, and thus he brought them all out. And we find that what what kind of God we have. A one who has made a covenant. He's made a promise to forgive us our sins through Jesus Christ. And he's going to be have mercy uh, upon those uh, and, and wants to give out to those within that that promise, within that covenant. Um it does speak again of our love being back for him. Coming on down, though, uh, where it says, after then uh, you have come into his you know, community, he will keep you with the covenant and with his mercy. And it describes love in terms of him uh, giving to his church, to his believers, and providing. And it says there will be benefit, just as we would say, what? Well, we would say, New Testament-wise, you know, for God set his love on us, he so loved the world, right? He did this. Uh, He was the one that initiated. Why did he do it? Because we were so great? No, uh, um, not so. Even while we were still in our trespasses and sins, uh, he, he did this. And... Now that he has set his love by doing this, we find uh, that God's actions towards us are about giving. Um, Eric says, this is unconditional love. 
that goes out. This is God saying, no, I am going to create you. I am going to redeem you. I am going to keep you. Uh, he's going to keep you in the covenant and the, uh, uh, the mercy, keep you in the covenant and in the mercy that he has. Um, and then, because of what he has done, those who are believers are those who then love him in return. Uh, and thus, this love him and keep his commandments is none other than the, uh, the response of, of, of the believers uh, towards him. So we see that uh, in Deuteronomy 10.15, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. So those who had the promise and those who are the descendants, those who have are, are in that line of the promise, those who hear that, uh, they have God's love towards uh, towards them. This God setting His love upon us um, again. It's not actually the love word, but uh, it is. It is a matter of what did you say? Act of the will. I mean, if you want to speak of God that way. He made a decision. And uh, Pastor Rin said, when God makes a decision, he keeps it. So there we see, um, for us, when we have sinned, confess our sins, how do I know God loves me? He said so. He said his love. You know, but I'm so very rotten. Yeah, it wasn't because you were good that he loved you either. You thought it was that. It wasn't. He did it because he wanted to give you these things. He was doing all of this. um, And so that was what his his setting his love. Uh, There is um, uh, uh, 13... Um, there are two other ones. Um, if I go down, let me see here. I had oh, if, I, if you go to Deuteronomy thirteen four, uh, it's on what page is that on? That's on page three, middle of page three. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. That also is to know whether you set your... You make that decision. You set your love uh, upon upon the Lord. And, uh, interesting enough, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What do we find? We find that the... We don't. <laughs> we don't do that, Shane. <laughs> right. <laughs> This describes, um, you, you can't say of God that he loved you a little bit. And you can't say of God, well, um, he loves me with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind. But that's what it means. Um, when it comes to us, that kind of love is without restrictions. It, it includes a completeness. And that's what we have with God as it's described up in Deuteronomy 7. When he sets his love upon you, you see that he is going to do this. And that's, that's what he does for us. Well, well, part, part of that love, or, or I, should, I, don't want to, I don't want to break up God's love, but one of the results of this placing his love on us I think is pointed out to us 
very graphically in the in the service that we use in the morning. Because what's the first thing we do? We confess that we haven't done God's will, that we're sinners. Then how many more times in the service don't we make the same confession? The service is full of confessions. Almost all of the words that we speak in the service are confession. What's the commandment? Those who keep my commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Lord, I don't do that. We can't do that. So the commandment is, when you can't keep the commandment, you have to admit that you can't keep the commandment. And only God can create that faith in us. Because we don't ever want to hear that. That's not part of my makeup. All right, now I've I've messed it up. I'll turn it back over to you. (laughs) (laughs) So when I... uh, love my wife, there are certain activities that that go with that, living together, you know, providing for each. Um, When I love my friends, live at their house, and I don't necessarily, you know, buy their food, and, 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 you know, as well as we would call them, you know, the marital act or whatever. I mean, so, so there are differences when the the love depends upon uh, the the relationship that that goes with it, um, I think that the New Testament rightly puts it in that relationship. When you have the John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, and what does He do? Well, what's the relationship? I got God and and what about us? Sinners. So I got the Creator and I've got sinners, the creature. And when God says He loved the world, the point about us and all creation. Right. And so it's without restriction as to person, but it involves then the very need that we have. Our need is for the forgiveness of sins. And so by sending his son, you know, if, if I say, for God so loved the world that he sent us a bunch of chocolates, can I go, I'm a sinner. I don't need chocolates. You know, I need forgiveness. Um, that's, that's the thing that, that, that needs to happen. Um, in, in these particular passages, and the New Testament hits it right. That's for God so loved the world. What's he doing? He's doing what his relationship is called for. But what's interesting in regards to the Old Testament is it doesn't, it it speaks that way, but it doesn't always speak that way. Most of the time when it's describing, uh, most of the time it doesn't speak in just terms of, uh, I love this one where it talks about uh, in Deuteronomy 33, Moses is getting ready to leave the promised land and and he goes back and, and he goes, all the stuff that he did, you know that at the Mount Sinai and everything. He loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down and everyone receives you. You know, God loves them. I mean, it's true. He does. But most of the time, the Old Testament doesn't speak in that way. Most of the time, it speaks in this way. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my coming of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. It speaks of it in terms of kindness, undeserved mercy. Because uh, um, it, it's, it's, that's the kind of love that he has. If we're talking about what kind, of, what kind of love does God have for us? He has one in which he gives us undeserved 
gifts, kindness. He mercies us. He gives us the things that we don't deserve. That's what he does. So the last thing I want to look at, and I'm, I've got about seven minutes, I think I can, I can get through. Um, there are, you, so you can go through the word love. You can hit all of those. Most of the time when it describes his love, though, it uses other words. And you, in the context, you would go, well, yeah, that means God loves us. But it, it uses a different word, like it uses kindness or mercy or something like that. But there is, there is uh, one particular time. It's the same word hesed, but they describe it as loving kindnesses. I don't know if, if you've spent much time in the King James. Uh, the New King James has it as well. The uh, NIV and the modern ones don't 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 pull it out. Uh, but it mostly happens in the Psalms, where it will talk about the loving kindnesses. The loving kindnesses. There's a couple times in Isaiah as well. I think Jeremiah once or something. Isaiah 63. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. At the very beginning of this, I mentioned to you Psalm 92. That was another one. In the morning, I'm going to talk about his loving kindnesses. Go to your uh, back page. I think I included on the very back of that. Flip that whole thing over. Uh, I pulled out something off of the uh, Internet that talked about this loving kindnesses. Let's see if I can make uh-huh. it just a little bit bigger so you can see it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Loving kindness is a word found in older, more traditional versions of the English Bible, such as the King James, NASB. The Hebrew word is often translated loving kindness. It's the word hesed uh, in, in Hebrew, which literally means, and note this, covenant loyalty. Interesting. They're going to go back, they're going to connect that with God's promise, his covenant, his choosing. Most newer translations of the Bible substitute more common words such as faithfulness, unfailing love, mercy, or good favor. All are Bible substitutions, but as with many Hebrew words, the word chesed has no exact match. With loving kindness, while loving kindness can describe one's person's actions towards another, and there's a couple times it does, it's most often used to describe the Lord, the character of the Lord, the way that he is. Many places in the scripture speak of the loving kindness of the Lord. You can see Exodus, Deuteronomy, and the Psalms. Loving kindness is a part of who God is. I think someone had said that earlier. Uh, We we know God is love. Uh, He delights in showing this, it's chesed, it is mercy and loving kindness, undeserved stuff, and we praise him for it. But the specific word seems to imply a slightly different character trait than his basic goodness and compassion for all creation. Chesed, or loving kindness, as it relates to the character of God, is most often used to describe God's heart towards those who are his own. Loving kindness is God's kindness and steadfast love for his children, especially evident in his condescending to meet our needs. So when we talk mercy and, and, and all in forgiving sins, condescending to meet our needs. In scripture, God shows his loving kindness in saving his children from their enemies, delivering them from their troubles. His loving kindness comforts us, redeems us from sins, assures us of his promise. God's loving kindness is abundant. It's great in extent. It is everlasting and full of goodness. God's loving kindness, his steadfast loving actions on our behalf, knows no bounds. Psalm 57, your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Uh, Deuteronomy 33, that's on the first page at the bottom of it, if you take a look at that one. Um, I was looking for... Oh, 31, verse 3. Uh, go to page 2. Page 2. Is that on there? No. How about page 2? Page... 
There it is. Uh, page two. Third one down or so. The Lord has appeared to me of old. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. With loving kindness. Uh, that, that's the Old Testament version of John 3.16. <laughs> tell me. Tell me why. Well, from, from the very beginning, God has loved us. He loved us with an everlasting love, was always going to be, always will be, and he has drawn us. How and does he draw? Son of Christ. He, he, he draws us in the waters of baptism through his word. What draws us to the Lord? Faith. faith. Well, faith is what receives. Faith right. is always a reception. His love for us. His love for us draws us to him. to him. The crucifixion. The, yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me come back to that. Yes, Brian. Something I've always struggled with, still struggle with, I can see God's love for the Gentiles in the New Testament. It's made abundantly clear. I try to look back at all these Old Testament readings, and I don't see it. All I see is a love for the Jewish nation. If you're outside of it, just out of love. And I, I'm reading these again, and I still have that same struggle. Like we're reading ourselves into this love. If we'd have been alive back then, we'd have been outside the Jewish nation or Gentiles. No, we wouldn't have been. <laughs> because that would have been that we were just in a different place in time. And we can't figure that out. But there were Gentiles who were believers. There were Gentiles who followed the Egyptians out of Egypt. There were Gentiles who followed them into the Promised Land. Now, they were never allowed in the temple. But they were believers who worshipped outside the temple. The, uh, and, and I... I think I have I have picked and chosen certain passages with this, but I would say that your description is is basically correct in the sense that if we're looking at the word love, what we see most of the time as it speaks of that, it is speaking of those who are in that covenantal relationship. And so, and, and that's rightly and, and, and should be should be true. Um, nevertheless, does um, and, and, and you're right. We've, we've got to be able to open our eyes to see it. And, and uh, but do we have a God in the Old Testament who does look upon the Gentiles? All that He is doing is so that the glory of Israel might be a light to the Gentiles. Yes, that is true. Um, but I mean, I'll give you an example of God's creation of the world, which includes Gentiles and Jews alike. Uh, we always say that, that that is a matter of his love, his looking upon us. And yet, it, whether you believe or not, he sends the <coughs> rain upon them. Uh, there are many passages. These don't happen to be the ones. Uh, but there are many passages that speak about how God left us a, uh, a reminder of his goodness. And he did that to all the nations so that it might draw them. But I think that this is the one uh, um, you know, where, as he said, this kind of God by his, uh, by what he has done, he is drawing not just you know, Jews, but also Gentiles. But the... Uh, God draws us to salvation through the Jews. So when you see his love through his son, it draws you to come and to leave and to believe in his son. Or when you see the Israelite nation and what God has done, many Gentiles look to them and said, wow, they've got laws like no other people. They have a worship like no other people. 
they have, look what, they've got a history like no other people. If God did that, I want to be a part of that. And Pastor Rune described what, what that happened. So I, I, you're right. I mean, that, that, to, to see that. Um, but it, it takes those eyes. Um, Mary, and then I'll get two more. In the, in the section on loving kindness, it, it directs us to uh, Psalm 145, uh, verse 9, which says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So that's, that's us. Perfect, perfect. Who else do I have? Shirley? And if you go back, you know, when we were studying Genesis, it's very clear that God loved everybody. The people themselves pulled themselves away from God. You know, in, every, in every generation, there were those, you know, that started with Cain. You know, he, he was loved by God, but he pulled himself away. Esau. So... Yeah, um, the greatest... Uh, well, the second greatest destruction, you know, after the flood, is the one of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what do we have? We got Abraham in the land. We got Lot right next to them preaching righteousness. Even when they come to abuse his his people, they go, "Well, you're playing the judge. You're, you know." And and uh, you know, it was less than 20 years earlier that Abraham had rescued those uh, kings from the kings of the north. And so, right, all of this is here, and yet. You know, there's destruction when you reject that. There's one more. I I understand exactly what you're saying, Brian, because I wondered about that as a child also. Um, and I've kind of come to learn, I think, that the Bible is the story of how of the way in which God sent His Christ, and you're following that line, and the Jews are that line. And it isn't that other people are excluded, kind of like we aren't excluded from the Bible. We're just somewhere there in the beginning of Revelation. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> you're still there but it's it is telling you only the things you need to know the the faith is always present in other people it's present in Ruth it's present in um, the Queen of Sheba it's present in one of the pharaohs of Egypt that speaks to Abraham so everywhere here and there you get people who obviously know I mean we're what Japhethites right we're all part of the sons of Noah it wasn't that this somehow was unknown in the rest of the world but the Jews are the church they're showing you exactly where to look for the Christ and so the, you know, I, again I've just mentioned the two things I, I have a God who loves the world I have a God that's reaching out to all and yet we also have to proclaim there's two parts to it we have to proclaim that apart from Christ there is no salvation and so there is also him coming through the Israelites to bring the Savior and the Christ, and so he brought them for a purpose, to be a light to the Gentiles. So, you know, I, I can't play one off the other. I, I do have both. Um, In St. Paul's writings, and since I'm old, I can't remember where they're all at, <laughs> but in St. Paul's writings, he speaks of the promise to the Gentiles. The promise that he's talking about, when does that begin? It begins in the garden, doesn't it? With 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 God's promise to Adam and Eve. That's the first part of that promise. That the serpent is going to be destroyed by the coming one. That follows through all through the whole Old Testament into up to the time of Christ's birth. Then we have the answer to that. But that promise in the Old Testament about the serpent being destroyed was for all people. Because Adam and Eve were the mother and father of all people. And God gave that to them. And we've looked at that several times about God's giving a promise to the forefathers. Well, that was it. And any Gentile that believed that promise was a child of God. Now, if you don't believe that promise, we don't know what's going on. But we do know that when you believe the promise, you have salvation. And you don't have to know the whole promise, because God is the one that's working the promise out. And so, when we start to look at who, who believes the promise... And who doesn't believe the promise? In other words, who's God's people and who isn't God's people? 
we're getting in pretty murky ground. Next time, bring those back. Um, I do have a section that's following that with the believer's love for God uh, as well as uh, then the believer's love for others. And those are the two that, that follow after that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your love for us, especially as it is shown to us in our Savior Jesus, uh, for that is where we receive your blessings of eternal life. In his name we pray. Amen.